When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, CTC focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get an exclusive 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout. Who wins the bond battle? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator, and Jared Dillian, editor of The Daily Dirt Nap. And both of them are also members of the RV Marketplace. You can find and subscribe to their fantastic work by hitting the Marketplace tab on our platform. Hi, gents. How you doing? What's up, Maggie? How are you? I'm doing okay. What up, JD? Oh, what up? What up? <laughs> that's a big. That's a big a sigh. sigh. It's been. Oh. It's been. It's been a crazy day. It's been nuts. You ever have one of those days? Days where like your entire list decides to email you at the same time. Like, yeah, that's what it's been like for me today. So. Is that a sentiment indicator? Are people really confused about what's going on? No, I just I had my my issue today was kind of interesting. Um, I don't mean to get off topic. I know we're talking about bonds, but we're talking about everything. So go ahead. Go ahead. You know what cash? Have you taken a look at Nigeria? Uh, no. And I'm gonna guess that a lot of people haven't. So tell us yeah, what's going on. You should you should check it out. The Nigerian stock market has crashed like 60% in the last week. And um, it's due to a couple of currency devaluations. Um, but it's super, super interesting because you know, Nigerian stocks have been going down for 20 years and GDP has been going up for 20 years. Uh, they have a big inflation problem, but, you know, the market cap of Nigeria can fit into my Zin can at this point. Um, it's, look, it's one of these things, like if they had a Javier Malay, like it would be one of the, it would be one of the most spectacular rallies of all time. So NGE is the ETF. That is crazy. First of all, how much does everyone love the fact that we 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 like bounce right into Nigeria? Like I, I love the unexpected and I love that, you know, we've got an eye on the globe or that you guys all do for us. That's amazing. Um, currency, which so the other thing I want to say, I so I just Googled as you were talking, and all of the top headlines are about football, soccer, you know, World Cup kind of football. Not surprisingly, because that's what most of the focus is. Um, you got to you got to go down a few before you get to anything happening um, with currencies and the stock market. So you know that. So 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 just so we understand, you're you're kind of eyeing this as potentially an amazing opportunity. At some point, um, there's always a huge amount of 
political risk though, right? With this kind of market. Yeah. I mean, it's anything that goes down 60% in a week can obviously go down another 30% easily. So it's super risky. Um, but I am keeping an eye on it. Well, I mean, the, right now the chart is just a horror show. Um, but, you know, over the course of three to six months, if it forms a base, um, I don't know, it might be pretty interesting. So, yeah. So um, they changed the, the the trading band. The central bank made some adjustments, which sort of sparked this whole this whole period of turmoil. Um, all right, we're going to put a pin in that conversation because I think it's super interesting to talk about that in, in uh, against the backdrop of some other stuff. So let let's get to U.S. bonds and and the U.S. market first. But I but I want to circle back around to that. So because clearly you put it in your note and that's where you're getting some calls. So I think there's more to say about that. So there, there seems like there's, there's turmoil and confusion everywhere, e even in some developed markets, because in some way we're locked in that same debate or s that we were in at the end of last year. I think we were all hoping for some clarity, but you know, where's the U.S. economy? Is it hotter than we think? Is it not? Could inflation, you know, could we see a resurgence inflation? What's the Fed going to do? They said they were going to pivot, but are are they we really going to see all those rate cuts that the market priced in? Did the market get ahead of itself? Did stock get ahead of themselves? And we've seen a little bit of volatility coming back into bonds, Tony. So walk me through some of the action that you're seeing, because I think people thought maybe that was in the rearview mirror, but it doesn't seem it is. No, I feel like, you know, within the context of that um, treasury market bottoming, um, which kind of coincides with the chart that I sent you guys, um, which is 30-year bond futures, you know, the market bottomed in the fall of last year. It cratered to a new low, broke range, and then got back up within that range pretty quickly. So that's something that makes a technician sit up in his chair the first time. Um, and we held that range on a retest just recently, um, earlier this year. So it looks like, you know, we were forming this head and shoulders bottom that the bond market can absolutely take off out of, especially if we're pivoting towards lowering rates, et cetera. And then we walked into, you know, the FOMC last week into 60 minutes and Friday, Monday, there were two huge moves down lower in the bond market with rates going higher. It had to do with some of Powell's comments. And uh, to me, this is the battle royale that's going on right now is kind of deciding the direction of interest rates if they're going to be trending much this year or at least where the next move is for the next quarter. So to me, it's like I put that chart, I send it to you guys because like I can make as good a bullish case as I can a bearish case. And I think that those are the forces that are taking place right now as the market kind of sorts this out. You know, rates have been pretty volatile in a tight range, but sometimes that means that they're kind of getting ready to break that range and move on to another one. So I'm sitting up in my chair. I don't really have a strong view. I'm kind of just spectating so that mm. I can decide whether some of my other ideas are going to pick up headwinds or tailwinds with higher or lower interest rates. So it's just one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the side battles that I'm sitting here speculating, I mean, excuse me, sitting here just spectating and watching with my big popcorn can and waiting to see what happens. And that's uh, that's about it. Yeah, it sounds like you think that is going to decide a lot of other things. Like it's it, the Treasury, the rates really dictated a lot last year, you know, because um, we were all sort of keying off that. And it sounds like from what you said about waiting to see how other things pan out that you think that's going to be the case again. Yeah, I, I kind of do. My, my, my base case is that at least the high in yields uh, is behind us. 
and that we're going to stay pretty range bound going forward. So that this kind of, you know, this pullback in treasuries contributes to that. And so if they stay in a range, that'll suit my view and it'll be good for my equity view as well. Yeah, which we'll get into in a second. Um, what about you, Jared? Are you and are you in your bond trades still? How are you looking at bonds here? No, I'm flat. Uh, I, I got out of it um, before this tick higher in rates. So we've gotten in the last week, we've gotten jolts, which was hotter. We got um, payrolls, which was much hotter. We got consumer confidence, which was much higher, especially on present condition. We got services PMI just the other day where prices paid was incredibly hot. Um, so, you know, from October to December, we had a run of pretty soft data and now the data is starting to turn around. And, you know, you've seen these rate cuts get pushed forward. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get any rate cuts at all, you know, if, if, if the data continues like this. Like the manufacturing recession that we were in, we're kind of coming out of. Like if you're the Fed and you're thinking about cutting rates, like I understand that real rates are 3% and monetary policy is restrictive, but it doesn't seem to be slowing down the economy at all. Like why cut rates if you have Fed funds at five and a half and everything is fine and unemployment is 3.7% and you're adding 330,000 jobs. Like, so I think Waller, you know, Waller's speech in October is a little bit stale and expired. And I think that, I, I think these, re, these rate cuts are going to get priced out. I don't have a position, uh, but I would actually, I would rather be short bonds here for sure. So. Yeah. I mean, are you, are, do you think they're all going to get priced out? We already know people are reducing expectations for March. They weren't completely gone for March though. Interestingly, unless they are, unless they are now. But last time I looked, they were still hanging on to a, a very low probability. I mean, um, but May, that, they've still got May on the books, no? Yeah, I mean, Loretta Mester said today that rate cuts would be appropriate in the second half of this year. So I think that's what you're going to see. I mean, I think they're going to kind of stick to this rate cut idea, but I think it's going to get pushed into the second half of the year. And if the economy stays strong, then it's just going to get indefinitely pushed out. So, yeah. Range-bound so, rates, baby. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, but I mean, is that so, you know, you, you're looking at some other decisions or sectors that you're interested in, Tony. Do Are range-bound rates with a pretty decent-looking economy necessarily a bad thing no it's an amazing thing it fits my 94 90 into 95 analog which i've been hanging my hat on quite a bit where in 94 we raised rates from three to six percent stock market was couldn't really handle it was off one and a half percent that year and a very volatile up and down year reminded me of last year quite a bit um and then 95 96 we went on you know the beginning of the tech boom run. And it was very similar where everybody was kind of throwing rocks at the rally. And it was like, oh, no, no, this tech stuff is here to stay. And it's for real. And if you faded this early in the game, you're going to have a big problem. And I feel like, you know, that we're seeing similar tailwinds with the way, you know, batshit crazy NVIDIA is trading in the semiconductor sector. 
Um, you know, but they're only, you know, they've only just gotten started. I mean, semis are up 12% this year so far, you know, and that number could, you know, triple, quadruple if they go on a run. And and if rates stay sideways, I can stay bullish technology as long as I want. You know, if, if they rise, it'll be hard to stay bullish home builders and, and retail and things like that. And if they fall, forget it. You have to be in technology first. And then, you know, that's the industrial stuff might pick up and follow right behind it. As you said, Maggie, because the economy isn't showing signs of driving off into a ditch in any way anymore. So, you know, this is where my scenario comes into play that the stock market can hire a little bit higher rates, right? Especially when commodity prices have dove, you know, taken a nosedive. We're talking about $3 gas now around the country, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like a savings for everybody and everybody, every industrial that's been, you know, kind of sucking wind on the way down. And the S&P is at 49.75 looking to take on a 5k handle you know so all that is due to the fact that higher yields are tolerable by the stock market if the economy doesn't fall off a cliff and so that's what we're seeing and that's just fine for my bullish stock scenario yeah it's interesting we, we were talking to julian biddle yesterday about just trying to read what on the surface are conflicting signals so we've still got we're still in the thick of earnings chipotle earnings coming out crushing estimates Restaurant traffic grows 7.4%. That's the headline crossing. Somebody in the chat, Bo, is saying Ford's up 7% after the close. I mean, this earnings period, Jared, has been, I mean, there have been some, it's been pretty good, though. I mean, companies seem to be handling the situation and being able to come up with pretty good performance. You know, first, let me say that Chipotle is... The, my greatest miss in my entire career. It is my greatest miss. Like I ate a burrito in 2006 and I said, I have to buy this stock. And then it went public in 2008. And I was like, no, nah, it's too expensive. Oh. And, uh, and, and then, uh, then it went up a little bit and then it pulled back in the financial crisis. And I said, no, nah, it's, it's a little scary right now. And I could have bought it at any point in the last 18 years. I, I think there was also an opportunity where they're having a lot of uh, supply chain and, yep. Yeah. Salmonella. And Didn't buy it then. I, I just, yeah. uh, I'm just the biggest idiot in Jared. The mine, the mine, mine's Costco. It's like make it makes a new high every other day. I you pull out of the place, pull out of the parking lot, two to bid it four times a month with a, a Toyota Tundra full of stuff that I buy there, and I still haven't been smart enough to get in the stock. So, <laughs> talk, talk talk about embarrassing misses. I mean. <laughs> See, it happens to all of us. And it's funny because you're both tortured by having to go there to both of these places all the time. So Tortured. I'm, I'm stopping out at like $1,000 a share. I'm stopping into the goddamn thing. I, I don't care if it's the high. I just need to own it, you know, at some point. <laughs> I want to take delivery of the certificates and forget about what I paid for them. <laughs> It'll be fine. That's fantastic. Um, what do you, yeah, four tops, uh, estimates, guides, Toward a strong 2024. I mean, these are the kind of headlines presumably the Fed sees, and they're like, hmm, why would there be a rush to cut rates? So you can imagine. Why now, having, it having, out. having said all that, I kind of want to lay out my moderately bearish case against stocks. Okay. Yeah. Like the technicals are not good. You know, I, I kind of have my own proprietary methods. One of the things I looked at, look at is MACD divergence. There's a big divergence. Breadth is terrible. It was better today, but it's been terrible. The Mag 7 is not even the Mag 7 anymore. It's the Mag 4, you know? So even like even that breadth is declining. And it really feels to me a bit like 2000 when 
breadth was getting worse and worse and worse. And at the end of it, you had one stock that was holding up the entire market, and that was Cisco. And then Cisco missed, and that was the beginning of the bust. So I kind of wonder if the same thing's going to happen, and the last stock standing is going to be NVIDIA. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's just it's just the mag one and everything else. Like, well, it kind of feels that way. So let me ask a question. As this sort of comes up, everyone makes the distinction that, oh, yeah, stocks are at a record, but it's really just the mag seven. If you look at a lot of other stocks, they're not mm -hmm. that great. It's not that strong of a market. If the mag seven kind of has a blow off top, does it mean it hurts the rest of the market? Or could you actually see some rotation into some of these other no, I mean, it means small tech, or it just means the whole thing has to have a correction before you have the whole any thing kind has of to have a correction. Yeah. One, one thing that uh, Helene Meisler pointed out yesterday I mean, yesterday we closed within a whisker of the all time highs, and there were more new lows than new highs in the New York Stock Exchange. You know, like mm. that's, you know, I mean, and that's been happening a lot over the last couple of weeks. We've been having more 52 week lows than 52 week highs. So, Tony, what's your thought about, about stocks? Like, would you be looking, do you need to see a correction? Are you constructive? Do you need to see a correction? Or do you have a little bit more of a nuanced view of how this could play out? Yeah, you know, I remain, I remain sort of a little bit more humbly constructive when, you know, I hear smart guys and good traders like Jared, you know, say that this, he's moderately bearish and that there's things to look out for. You know, I always have my ears open to that. Um, I see risks in the fact that we're super complacent, you know, volatility is compressed, the VIX can't lift its head up above 15, you know, and I say that because usually that means that once it does, it's going to go to 30, mm. you know, and so I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I have, I have a sort of my methodology of, of sort of keeping a trailing stop loss is what allows me to stay in these markets. And then as long as I'm diligent enough to keep moving them tight to the market as the market rallies, I get out at a good price for my trade and I can reassess if things come apart. But I'm still in the mode that unless there is a dramatically fast steepening of the yield curve towards zero boundary, right now we're at like minus 30 basis points and twos tens. If there's a viciously fast steepening, that's what's going to cause a sell-off. And I'm still of the mode that the the rally has been so sort of difficult to latch onto that once we get a steep sell-off, there's going to be plain vanilla money there, like mutual funds that are like, here's our chance, all 5%. Mm -hmm. Let's start putting money in. And then for whatever reason people are selling, there'll be a lot of stock that changes hands. There'll be a lot of volatility. We'll be in the washing machine and not knowing what's going to happen. And next thing you know, we hold the moving averages and we start bouncing higher. So that's a scenario that I'm totally ready for. I know that there's got to be some kind of a shakeout dip this year. You know, the ranges are shrinking. You know, like Jared said, there's a lot of hallmarks of, of complacency and a few things that rhyme with 2000 and a few things that don't rhyme at all. So it's a brand yeah. new world to me. And my eyes are open to, you know, everything everybody is saying on at times like these. It's hard to make money at the highs. Right. That, yeah. That's like sort of the traders uh, mantra. And we're proving that right now, that unless you've been sitting long the S&P, tough to make a call every day. It really is. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think that's a great explanation of what's going on. And, and you've both said before, and I think this is really important, that like sometimes you don't do anything or you wait till you have your moment. You got to get ready. But like there is a 
uh, you know, we're all addicted to action. We talk about this a lot. We've talked about it with Denise Schill. We all think we have to be doing something. But sometimes this is if you've got a framework, you've just got to be ready for the opportunity, which it sounds like you're doing. You're just waiting until you get that that sort of all clear. I mean, Jared's getting Jared's getting readings off the speedometer of his Corvette and thinking that they're for the market. I don't know what is some of the things that he mentioned there were, but <laughs> we'll see if those pan out as being bearish, but it's fine. Um, we've got a question here we're talking about, and we've been spending a lot of time talking about um, the Fed and rates because that's been driving so much globally, truthfully. But Bo has a question, and this is important, and it's kind of been on the burner, but it doesn't make its way into the conversation every day. Gentlemen, can the global economy work through a China recession without much collateral damage? So U.S. economy might be looking good. Feds may be dealing with a, a, an economy that's more resilient than they anticipated, even when they you know, came forward with the dot saying that we're going to get Fed easing. But what about China? Uh, and Jared, I know you've kind of been looking at this a little bit, right? Well, what's, what's on your radar when it comes to China? Yeah, it's, I mean, I've been bearish China for a long time. Um, I, I've been kind of wondering that myself, if there would be any spillover effects from the Chinese stock market into other stock markets. I mean, the one spillover effect that we're seeing is a lot of that Chinese money is being repatriated to Japan. So, um, you know, Japanese stock market has been going up and up and up. And there was actually, I don't remember what hedge fund it was, but there was a, an Asian hedge fund that got basically got carried out because... Uh, they had it. They had it on the wrong way. They were long China and short Japan. Um, and I almost, I, I almost wonder if there's some of those spillover effects are happening in the U.S. markets. I, ha I almost wonder if some of that money is coming out of China and into the U.S. Mm. Um, so, but I, I don't. I'm just talking out my ass. I don't really know. So yeah. But you know, we've heard people say, well, it's, it's, it's. You know, the, I mean, China can certainly stimulate if they want, and you know, things have been so bad that maybe maybe it's a buy. Is this another one of these instances like you, you wanna, you know, when, it, when a chart looks like that, just because it's ugly, does that mean you step in or, you, or, you know, what what are the parameters that make you decide? Cause you mentioned Nigeria too, right? What's the difference? What makes you decide, oh, something looks interesting. There might be an opportunity there, even if it's one that I'm gonna do with, you know, risky money, like money I can afford to lose. And, and then something else that's like, that just looks like a falling knife. I don't wanna go anywhere near that. Well, I mean, the point I've been trying to make about China, and I've talked about it before in the daily briefing, is that, you know, it's, I don't, I've never, I've never bought a Chinese stock, not even a US ADR or anything like that. I've never bought a Chinese stock, never felt compelled to. It's a communist country. Property rights don't exist. Executives disappear. Like, why is that a place that you would want to invest? And there's a lot of degenerates in the US who are constantly trying to pick a bottom in this thing mm -hmm. and getting steamrolled. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, it's, it's going to be a buy at some point for a trade, like anything that goes down 20% can easily go up 20%. So, but I don't think it's a buy until everybody gives up trying to pick a bottom and actually gets bearish on it. And I'm still not seeing that. Like I'm not, I mean, obviously some people have made money being short, but I'm not seeing this Twitter consensus that China is uninvest. When you see when you see people starting to say something that is uninvestable, that's usually the time that you want to invest. You know. Yeah. So. When they've thrown in the towel. Um, I, if I, Maggie, if I could just add a point to that, I, I feel like the markets are telling us exactly what the risk of China is. So 
if the risk of China's economy slowing down would mean that their markets would tumble and that would be the risk to U.S. markets, if that's what the question is, I think the market answered that question. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether the Chinese economy tanks. Doesn't matter whether the Chinese economy tanks 25. I mean, the Chinese stock market tanks 25% from the highs. Doesn't matter if Nigeria gets cut in half again. Right. The U.S. market is functioning on the U.S. market market functioning on its own just fine and shrugging off everything that's going on in the world. And I don't think that we're going to get the resolution on China until we have more clarity in November on who's going to be in office, because yeah. it looks like it might be predicting bad news for China. And we know which candidate that's predicting. You know, China, to me, follows the same exact course as the EV trade and the solar stocks excitement and rallying and buying into the Biden administration and selling and selling and getting out on what looks like it could be the end of the Biden administration. So that just seems like a one-to-one relationship to me that, that I don't know, I think that we'll find out by November where China's headed, but I know that it doesn't matter to the U.S. stock market at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of China's problems are internal dealing with real estate. And so um, disappearing executives. So exactly. there's no right that the sort of contagion that tends to be global, um, not apparent right now. If Actually, as, to- as we talk, it looks like China's up right now. <laughs> right. We on- just talked it off the lows. Exactly. That's all, it's all it took. That's all it took. One That's bull. Not- it's <laughs> hilarious. So um, we're going to jump around a little bit because we've got some questions. Uh, Joey asking, Tony, would like to hear your current th- thoughts on the oil trade. Whole sector seems stale last few quarters. Sp- still expecting a drop to $40, question mark. Uh, I don't know that I called, said that I was expecting a drop to $40. I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat with tons of popcorn and soda, and I have no idea what's going to happen. I, price action is horrible. That much I know. Right. I also know that refineries are operating still at, you know, massively high capacity and the refinery stocks are still ripping. So there's a couple of, you know, diesel diesel spreads are tightening up. There's a couple of shortages in the market. So there's really mixed signals there. What's not mixed is that oil is trading along with the deflationary malaise that the whole entire commodity complex has been trading in since we decided we're pricing in a lot of rate cuts next year. So that that to me has been also like a very obvious one-to-one relationship. And I'm not shocked that oil was weighed down to the bottom of the range with that. And if we break 68, I have no idea what happens next. I would imagine a 50 handle probably happens at some point. We test $60. And if we hold here and something batshit crazy happens in the world, we could go right back to 80 bids. So, man, I, I have literally no view and I don't have a dollar of energy at risk, if that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, JD, what about you? you we were just talking about China, though. No, China's no. weak. It, it, it would have an impact. You know, that is something that oil traders have been watching out for um, when it comes to demand. Yeah, China's weak. I mean, the demand, demand fell off. The price of gasoline fell off, and the market loves it. That's all I know. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on oil, Jared? None. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, somebody pointing out as we were talking about earnings, you know, j- just sometimes how different it is, and there there are obviously company to company implications. Uh, Palantir up 31% after hours, uh, but we have Snap down 29%, SYM down 23%. So you've got some big swings happening here with uh, some of these earnings coming out after hours. 
Uh, question, not surprisingly for both of you, on uranium, the uranium trade. Anybody watching that, in it, interested in it? Yeah, I, uh, I've been in it. I've been in the commodity and the miners. And, you know, the one thing that I've noticed you know, on Twitter is that we're coming around to like one of the things that JD points out better than everyone is that there's a lot of assholes in the trade. And it seems like there are a lot of pedestrian traders that are now latched on to this uranium idea. And there are still people in the, there are people in this trade that still haven't learned that trees don't grow to the sky yet. They think it's impossible for the thing to back off. And that's where I get a little bit uncomfortable as a bull in that sector. So mm. I actually advised making a sale in the miners ahead of Cameco earnings. Um, you know, they've, they've been the leader of the pack. And to me, it's been conspicuous that the price of uranium has gone straight up vertical, whereas the miners are just back to the top of last year's range. So for me, if they don't get through there, I would want to be out of that trade. I'm still bullish the whole big picture scenario, though, and I think the commodity is going to be in great shape. And I'm dying to hear what JD thinks. Uh, pretty much the same. It's kind of filling up with tourists. You know, uh, there's a lot of low information investors in uranium now. Um, I would, I, I, I would, I would be flat or short, but not long here. Yeah, mm. uh, and uranium, that market is not a low information trading type of market. I mean, it's yeah. a very specific, peculiar, complex market um, that's changing rapidly. So uh, I, I do not go in there uninformed. Um, the, the, setup, the, the setup, but just to touch on this really quick, yeah. Maddie, while we have JD on here, you know, the setup in uranium is exactly like the setup was in energy last year when JD came out and said, I don't know what's going to happen, but we are at a sentiment peak in energy and everything energy collapsed right into that, right? There was still no gas around. There was no oil. Spreads were tightening. But the bottom line was, was that everybody was bullish looking for higher prices and that made everything go down. So the uranium is the same exact setup. There's no uranium around. Everybody's wondering who's going to pay the next offer in the utilities. And everybody that's in the sector now doesn't believe that it can dip. Mm -hmm. Same exact scenario. So I'm kind of with JD. And that's why I advised making a sale. So it's very, it just wanted to point that. Yeah, no, out. no, no. Super, super, super important. And I mean, this is where, you know, both of these guys have years of experience um, in terms of identifying that. So super important to, I think, get that out there. Um, but also then being really honest about this is a this is hard. Two things. If you are somebody who wants to understand this market because you do like that longer term secular story, um, I say this every time everyone's on, go on the platform and search up an interview I did with Nick Lawson um, probably a couple of years ago now. Um, some of the specifics may have changed, but the overall in-depth conversation about uranium holds and why it's a complex market so you can understand and then Rick Rule, an interview with Rick Rule just hit the platform today. Um, as you all know, and if you don't, Rick is a longtime uh, natural resources expert, um, entrepreneur, investor. And um, so he talks a little bit about his career, but he also has some really interesting things to say about uranium and about the best places to be in metals right now. So you'll want to go check that out if you're asking a question about that. Um, and fellas, that's it. We're out of time. Gosh, that yeah. went fast. It's a quick half hour. Maggie, what are your thoughts on the S and P? None that I will share, Tony. No, none okay. that I will All share. Right. But thank you for asking. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to hear everyone's view. 
my job is to is to ask you guys. Uh, I'm All neutral. Right. I'm Switzerland. Uh, I gotta be. <laughs> um, but I think what I will say is that I find this time confusing like everybody else. So we really appreciate when guys like you come on and are not only super um, willing to share your wisdom, but super honest about how hard it is and that there are times when you're just waiting to see what happens before you make a move. I think that's so refreshing and really what people need to understand um, because I think they just feel like, you know, some people want to just jump on everything and it's not always the right time. So we always appreciate you guys sharing that part of the wisdom too. Anytime, Maggie. Thanks for yeah, having us. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much. Uh, remember, both Tony and Jared are in the marketplace. Go check out the work. It's amazing. Um, Jared's book is out. Uh, killing it. Doing great. We did an interview, if you missed it, last week on some of what's in the book and his thoughts on the personal side of finance. Not exactly personal finance. Personal side of finance. Um, and some really good advice on that front too. So make sure you go back and watch that if you haven't. Tony and Jared, great to see you. We'll see you again soon. Buy Jared's book. It's epic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Do it, guys. Soon. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Good luck, everybody. Take care. Take care. Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache, but it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. It's as simple as connecting your wallet pulling in all your transactions and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Finally, 2024 is a year when crypto investors can do their taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get a 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout.